Jesus was a servant. Now, that sounds kind of odd to say, considering who we're talking about. Jesus was God in the flesh when he walked on the earth. Revelation describes him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The earliest confession of the church was that Jesus is Lord. None of those things seem to fit with the idea of Jesus being a servant. Despite that, that was the way Jesus described himself. He said, for who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table, yet I am among you as one who serves? He said in another place, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' life was a life serving others, doing for them what needed to be done in, in the ways that it needed to be done. But not only was Jesus a servant to those around him, Jesus calls on all those who believe in him and who have called upon him for salvation to emulate that example. He said, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lorded over them, the great ones exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be the slave of all. Now, Jesus, he really sets things in in contrast to the way we would normally think. He sets the idea of of greatness on his head. In our world, greatness is often defined by how many servants we have. Greatness is defined as having people under us to show that we have we have arrived, that we've climbed the ladder, so to speak. But Jesus said in the kingdom of God, it's a very different pecking order. In the kingdom of God, those who want to be first have to be last. Those who want to be great need to be servants. Right? And, and the idea of a servant there, and this is where it gets tough. Because the idea of a servant that Jesus talks about there is one who has really kind of no will of his own. It is one who puts aside his will and his wants and his desires in order to fulfill the wants, wills, and desires of another. That is the kind of servant that Jesus calls on us to be. And that is a a challenging thing to try to do. Because it is possible to serve Without actually being a servant. I mean, there is a difference between just doing acts of service and genuinely being a servant to all. Let me show you some of the differences. Servants or servers serve because they're supposed to. Servants serve because of their relationship with Jesus. But one way to tell if we're a server or a servant is on the, the why of why we do it. Do we serve because we're, we're supposed to? Do we serve because I guess we have to or people will talk? Or do we serve because I know Jesus? And the better I know Jesus, the more I want to be like Jesus. Since Jesus was a servant who served others, I'm going to follow that example. Servers serve out of obligation and necessity. Servants serve because of Jesus Christ and what he has done for them. Servers are focused on big jobs. Servants just serve. Servers are willing to do what needs to be done as long as others see it. They're willing to do the big jobs that get the big recognition that calls attention to their acts of service and the things that they've done. 
Servants just see a need, do what they can to meet the need. It can be the big thing, it can be the little thing. They really don't care one way or the other. Servers require external rewards. Servants are content to be unnoticed. A server expects to be served in response. A server expects to be acknowledged and rewarded for their acts of service. When the rewards don't come, the service stops. Bitterness follows. A servant, on the other hand, they're not afraid to serve where people can see. That's not the issue. They just don't need to be acknowledged. They know that Jesus sees all things, that Jesus knows all things, that Jesus rewards all good deeds. And so they serve with an absolute knowledge. Their Lord sees, their Lord will give them any rewards that they deserve. If people do not notice, it does not matter. Servers are very concerned about results. Servants are freed from the need to calculate results. But a a server kind of keeps a tally. How much I've done in comparison to what others have done. How, how well mine was received as well as how others were received. A servant, on the other hand, they just serve. Again, they, they're, not, they're not concerned with whether they've done more than someone else or whether someone else has done more than them. They're not overly concerned with whether people are, say, well, that was great, or whether people say it should have been done differently. They did their best done it for the Lord, and they're able to move on. Servers pick and choose whom they will serve. Servants serve everyone. Servers serve people based upon what it can get them. There may come a time where a server serves the the rich and the mighty. Why? Because the rich and the mighty have connections that they may need at another time. It will benefit them if that person knows their name, remembers what they've done. But then there also may come time where a server serves the poor and the lowly. Why? Well, because when people see you serving the poor and the lowly, they'll recognize just how pious and devoted you truly are to Jesus. It's not about the need. It's not about the person. It's about the recognition. And it's about the returns. A servant, on the other hand, sees a need and meets a need is really unconcerned whether the need is with the rich and the powerful, whether the need is with the poor and the lowly. There is a need. I can help. I'm going to do what I can. Servers' service is determined by moods and whims. Servants can serve no matter their mood. A server will serve when they feel like serving. If they want to, they will. If they don't want to, they won't. Their feelings, their attitudes for the day, they determine whether or not they will be of service to the world around them. A servant, though, understands that feelings can betray you. That feelings are often selfish and that feelings are often sinful. And so they have disciplined their feelings and they have determined to serve whether they feel like it or not. Servers serve temporarily. Servants serve as a lifestyle. A server often has to be asked to serve for a specific time to a specific task. Once that task is completed, they're through with their service until the next time that they're asked. A servant, on the other hand, doesn't see it as a task to be completed, but as a lifestyle to be lived. 
And when they finish one task, they immediately begin to look for other opportunities and other ways to serve. It is not something that they do. It's just a part of of who they are. Now, I think it's good at times to periodically ask ourselves, am I a, a server or am I a servant? Jesus was a servant. It was a lifestyle. It was who he was. It was what he did. And he calls on you and I as his people to follow his example. Now, what would it look like for us? If we were to transition from being servers to servants, what would it look like if we served the world in the same way that Jesus served? That's what we're going to talk about today. Open your Bible to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start reading in verse 5. I believe that's page 900 in your pew Bibles. When you find that, I'll ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Philippians 2 and 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has God also has highly exalted him and given him a name, which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on the earth and of those under the earth. At the name of Jesus, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. title of the message this morning is Transform Service, Serving Like Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We praise you for your grace and your goodness. We praise you for all that you've given us and all that you've done. Father, we need you to guide us and we need you to help us to go from being servers to servants. Help us, Father, to be like Jesus, to serve the world in the way that he has served us. Help us, God, to take his example seriously, to examine our lives, to make changes where they're needed. Fill me today with your Holy Spirit. Help me to speak your words in your ways for your glory. And let us respond and and just really, truly seek to be transformed. Let us strive to be like Jesus in every way that we can. We ask this in his name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Now, the the passage we're focusing on really kind of starts in verse 1. In verse 1 and 2 of chapter 2, Paul calls on the church to have unity within the church, for there to be a like-mindedness, that they would do what they ought to do to keep there from being strife in the church. And he knows that in order for there to be stri- not to be strife in the church, for there to be unity in the church, the people have to live and act a certain way. So he calls on them in verse 3, and he says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each... Esteem others as better than himself. Now, everything about that verse is tough. First, he says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is really an ambition to do what you want to do so that you can be noticed. It's a desire to bring attention to yourself. With selfish ambition... 
You may do the right thing, but you do it with the wrong motives. You may well serve others with selfish ambition, but the reason you do it is so that you will be seen, that you will be praised, that you will be acknowledged. And what happens when we serve with selfish ambition is we turn something that has been, that really is an honorable thing to do, serving others, into something that's dishonorable because of the reasons that we do it. We, we take something that is meant to be done to the glory of Christ, and in all honesty, we're doing it for the glory of ourselves. We take something that is meant to be an act of devotion to Christ, and we turn it into something that's an act of devotion to self. We take something that should be holy, and we make it sinful the way that we do it. And he also says, let nothing be done through conceit. But again, this is that desire to say, look at me. We do what we do so that others will see us, that others will acknowledge us, and that others will honor us. And then he says, what is probably the hardest part of the whole thing, let each esteem others better than himself. I mean, that's a, think about that. That is a, a tough thought. Consider others and their wills and their wants as more important than your wills and your wants. Now, that is a, that is a horribly challenging idea. But if you'll allow me, let me, let me make it more challenging. Because here's what we often do. We take this, let each esteem others as better than themselves, and here's how, here's how I will do it sometimes. Stacy esteemed Kelly as better than himself. Right? We take it and we apply it in the home only. Right? As long as I'm putting my wife ahead of myself, then I'm fulfilling this verse. I'm doing what Christ has commanded. And certainly, anything we do for others, it must be done at home as well. But we can't help but notice this, these instructions are not written in Paul's letters, letter to husbands and wives. It is written in Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. These are not merely instructions for how to have a healthy, happy marriage. These are instructions about how we should live as a church family. But even with that, it doesn't, it doesn't end there. Because it doesn't say husbands and wives or church members to one another. It says each and others. You see, my, my responsibility to esteem others as greater than myself, it extends beyond the home. It extends beyond the church. It extends to everywhere I go, anytime I go there. Tomorrow, as you go out and go to your job and do what you do, you are to esteem others it's better than yourself. Today, if you go out and eat, you are to esteem your waitress, your waiter, it's better than yourself. You're to esteem your co-workers as better than yourself. Your neighbors as better than yourself. Right? The idea is that no matter where we go, no matter what we do, no matter who we're around, we are to treat them, their wills and their wants, as greater than our own. It's pretty tough. But if we do that, verse 4 won't be that hard. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also in the interest of others. 
Well, you know, he's not saying that what we want isn't important and what we need isn't important. What he's saying is the world doesn't revolve around us. We are not the center of the universe. But I'm not the center of the universe in my home. I'm not to be the center of the universe even in my own life. I'm to be like Jesus. He is the center and everyone else is at least as important as me. And really, I'm supposed to think of them ahead of myself. It's pretty tough. And after laying that foundation, he begins to give us an example of what it would be like to do that. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. See, he's saying, you do this because you're like Jesus. This is how Jesus lived and this is how Jesus acted. So you're to follow that example. Jesus had that mind of putting others ahead of himself. And so what we see in verse 6 through 11 is how Jesus lived out this servanthood. This is how Jesus lived out this attitude. And we are to be like-minded with Jesus. We are to think as Jesus thought so that we then serve as Jesus served. And that's the main idea for today. When I think as Jesus thinks, and I'll serve as Jesus served. And so what would it look like? If I were to say, I'm going to think like Jesus. I am going to do nothing through selfish ambition or conceit. I'm going to esteem others as better than myself. I'm going to have the same attitude, the same thoughts, the same mind as Jesus did. What will that look like? Four ways. One, freely give up my rights. Freely give up my rights. It says in verse 6 that who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Jesus was always God. He was God in the flesh. He was God in eternity. He is God in glory. And yet when he came to earth, he, he cast off his glory. And when he came to earth, he, he had the right as Lord to demand that people serve him and do his bidding. And yet, as we saw in Mark chapter 10, he came not to, to be served, but to serve. He gave up his rights as God to demand that people respond in a certain way. He gave up his rights as God to demand that people treat him a certain way. And instead, he chose to be among us as one who served others. As Americans, we like our rights. Our rights are a a massive part of who we are and why we do what we do. We are so obsessed with our rights that I think at times rights can even be an idol that we serve. We don't have to do anything we don't want to do because I have a right to say no. I can... I can honk my horn and holler obscenities at person who cuts me off because I have a right not to be cut off. I can treat my waiter or my waitress terribly because I have a right to warm food and good service. I can say hateful things to the person in the ten item or less line because I have a right to go through the speedy checkout. Because of our rights... We do all kinds of ungodly, wicked, hateful things. And yet Jesus was not this way. Jesus freely gave up his rights to serve others. And we are to follow that example. 
Now, here's a, a question. Because for some of us, even thinking about this, we're like, but wait, I have the right to this and I have the right to that. You, you can't tell me to give up my rights. Well, let me ask you. Do, do you think that you have a greater right to your rights than Jesus had to his? I mean, do you think that, that you should be exalted because of your rights when Jesus didn't choose to do that because of his? Now, surely we would all say no. No, if anyone had a right to their rights, it was Christ. Well, if he, our Lord, our Savior, and our example, freely gave up his rights, it's what we are to do as well. We serve as Jesus served. And often... That will require us to give up our rights. Our rights to our comfort. Our rights to our preference. Our rights to free time. Our rights to money. Our rights to any number of other things. If I'm going to think as Jesus thought and serve as Jesus served, I have to freely give up my rights. Secondly, actively serve others. It says, but, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men. Jesus took the initiative, so to speak, to come to earth and do this. The plan of salvation, of Christ coming to die for the sins of humanity, it was his idea. It wasn't ours. Jesus didn't stay in heaven and being worshipped by angels until we came up with a good idea. And we said, oh Lord, would you please come and pay the penalty for our sins. Now, sinful man never thought that we, we needed that. We never had a way that we could do it. But Jesus, he took the initiative. He, he looked down and he saw our great need and he determined that he would do what he could to help. He looked for ways to come be our Savior. But you think about even beyond that, you think about the life that He lived. Jesus served others, and then I do what I can to help them. But in the last couple of years, I've begun to think that I'm, I'm wrong about that. I don't think the desire or the, the ability to, to help and to meet needs and to serve others is meant to be passive. I think it is meant to be Active. We are meant to take the initiative. We are meant to to look at the world around us with eyes that look for the needs and the hurts of others. To see that need and then take the initiative to do what we can to help with that need. So many times we're, we're passive. Now, Honestly, we can't help someone if we don't know about a need. And that, that's not even what I'm remotely discussing here. But, I mean, let's be honest. How many times do we see a need and we know about it, but we don't want to be the first ones to do it? So what we say is, well, if somebody else would start or if somebody else would do it, then I would, I would jump in and I would help. I mean, that's good. But it's just not enough. The way we're meant to be is, if I know about the need, I, I, take, I take the initiative and I do what I can to actively meet the need. Right? It's not enough 
to see the need. I have to also do what I can to meet that need. And each one of us have a responsibility. I mean, this is this is who we are all supposed to be. I don't have as the pastor any more of a responsibility to see the need and meet the need of people I can come into contact with than you do. We all have an equal share of responsibility. We all are meant to look at the world around us, not with eyes that are glazed over people. But look at the world, see the needs and feel the hurts of those around us. And once I'm aware of the need to actively do what I can to help them. That is exactly what Jesus did all throughout his life. It is exactly what Jesus does in us now. None of us just came upon the idea that we ought to come to Jesus and be saved. He initiated the contact. He sought us out and revealed our need. And then brought us to Him. That's what we're to do. Look the world with eyes of compassion. See the needs and feel the hurts of those around us. Then actively do what I can to help. If I want to serve as Jesus served, I've got to actively serve Others. I can't wait until I'm asked. I'm going to see the need and then do what I can to meet the need. Thirdly, willingly submit and sacrifice for others. Verse 8 says, Being in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus' ultimate act for help his ultimate way to serve is being a ransom for many. And yet, if you've read the Gospels, you know that the night that Jesus was arrested, he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, if there would be any way for this cup to pass, please let it. He knew what was coming. He knew the suffering and all that was going with it. And he prayed that if there was any way that salvation could become about through any other method but what was about to happen, then please let that happen. But remember what he prayed at the end of it at each time. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine. Now, what he modeled was submission to the Father's will for the good of others. He modeled submission to the will of another for the good of another. And for us, again, that's the way we are supposed to be. We are supposed to be willing to submit our will for the good of another. Now, I want to tell you something to write down because submission is something that's often misunderstood. And I want you to write this down about submission. It's not submission until I don't want to do it. I do not have to submit to watching Doctor Who. I really like that. Right? I don't have to submit to getting up and going to the gym in the mornings. That's not a challenge most days. But if somebody wanted me to watch... What's that show you like? Oh, Call, of the Midwife. Call of the Midwife. Wow, what an act of submission that would be on my part. If someone wanted me to meet with them at the time I normally go to the gym, that would be an act of submission on my part. It's not submission until I don't want to do it. And with submission comes sacrifice. 
Jesus submitted his will to the Father's will, and that led him to sacrifice his life for our lives. And there is really no way to faithfully follow the example of Jesus without submission and sacrifice. Submit my will to the will of another, sacrifice what I want for what they want, what I think I need for what they need. That, that is, there is no way we're to live without doing that. There is no way to be a faithful follower of Jesus without submission and sacrifice. It's just not possible. We are called to love others in such a way that we submit and sacrifice. But even with loving others, we often misinterpret that. It's not that I'm just supposed to love Kelly in such a way that I submit to her will and sacrifice for her. But I'm to, I'm to love you enough that I would submit and sacrifice. But even beyond that, the Bible says we're to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And the Bible defines a neighbor as anyone in need. Right? Remember the story of the Good Samaritan. Who was the neighbor there? It wasn't the dude that passed by on the other side of the road. It was the guy who saw the need and got involved and helped. He had to sacrifice. He had to submit his time to help. He had to sacrifice his money, his oil, his time to help. So we are to submit and sacrifice for the benefit of our neighbor. But oh, well, my friends, it's even harder than that. Jesus said we are to love our enemies. So I'm not only to, to love and submit and sacrifice to people who love me and were willing to submit and sacrifice for me. I must love those who actively dislike me. And I still must be willing to submit and sacrifice for their benefit. That's what Jesus did. When Jesus died for us, we were not his friends. When Jesus submitted and sacrificed on our behalf, we were not people who praised his holy name. We were rebellious sinners who wanted nothing to do with the will and the ways of God. And yet he sacrificed, submitted for us anyway. And that is what we are supposed to do. Sad fact is for many of us, and I say us, we want salvation without submission. We want sanctification without sacrifice. We want Jesus to save us, bless us, to protect us, and to guide us. And never lead me to a place where I have to do something I don't want to do. Without ever having to sacrifice my time, my effort, my comfort, my preferences. Friends, let's just be honest about what that is. That's just selfish. That is nothing but pure and simple selfishness. And selfishness is a sin. Let me show you this. Think about it. The life of Christ is one of love, submission, and sacrifice. That is the example we are to follow. The Word of God teaches us to follow the example, tells us to love, to submit, to sacrifice. The Spirit of God works in us to love, to submit, and to sacrifice. So if I'm living a life absent of love, submission, and sacrifice, who am I following? Am I following the Word of God, living a selfish life, self-centered desires? No. Am I following the Spirit of God if I'm living a selfish life and self-centered desires? No. 
I'm not following the son of God. If I live a life of selfishness and self-centered desires. Selfishness. Self-centeredness. It always comes from the world. The flesh. And the devil. If we are not actively following Christ. We cannot. Cannot love in this way. We cannot submit in this way. We cannot sacrifice in this way. At the same time. There is no way to follow Jesus faithfully without loving others, submitting and sacrificing for the sake of others. It's just not possible. So just think about this year. Right? We're about a little over halfway through with 2015. If you look over your life, I mean, just a simple. How many things have you done that you didn't want to do? How many times have you submitted and sacrificed for the sake of others? Done something. How many things have you done that was just to benefit other people and not that benefited yourself? I mean, that's. That's a challenging thought. Who are we following in life? If I am going to think as Jesus thought and serve as Jesus served, I must willingly submit and sacrifice for the benefit of others. And it's not submission if I don't want to do it. And it's not a sacrifice if it doesn't cost me something. We must submit and we must sacrifice. And then finally, leave honor and rewards to God. Verse 9, it says, Therefore, God, is, God also has given, have exalted Him, given Him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth. That every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, because Jesus has done those things in verses 6, 7, and 8, then the honor and glory described in verses 9, 10, and 11 will be His. There will come a day in which all the skeptics will become believers. There will come a day in which all the scoffers will see the truth of Scripture and the reality of Christ. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He will get all the glory that He is due. But notice where it comes from. God, the Father, has exalted Him. God, the Father, will ensure it. As Jesus walked on the earth, He was rejected. He was spit upon. He was spoken against. The world did not give him the honor that he deserved when he was here. The world today still does not give him the honor that he deserves. But a day is coming when they will. God will ensure it. As servants, we cannot live for rewards now. We cannot live for honor now. We cannot live in such a way that we will only serve if people acknowledge and recognize us. Now, please don't take me to mean something I'm not saying. It is good to give honor to whom honor is due. That's the Bible. To honor others is a good thing. But I don't have it. I don't have the right to honor myself. I don't have the right to say, look at how great I am. And if you don't acknowledge how much how good I am then I'm not going to serve anymore. That is selfish, not Christ-like. And I'll be honest with you. I thought about, I was thinking about this this morning as I was going over it. 
for me, this is difficult in a lot of ways. And I was the, I was the youngest in our family. And as such, I was spoiled a little bit. And my, my parents held my brother to a standard that I really didn't have to meet. Right? We had curfews. My brother once, his truck got stuck in the mud. He ran two miles through a muddy pasture to get there on time. <laughs> there is, I would have sat there till morning and it dried out. There is no way I would have ran through a muddy pasture. My parents praised me for being an hour within my curfew. I mean, I was never, I, I got by on a lot of things he was held to. Right? And so we live in a world that praises people all the time. Right. You did so good. Oh, I'm so proud of you. And that's great to do it. But if we're not careful, we build a mindset in others and in ourselves that the only way I'll serve is if others say, look at them, how great that was. But what if nobody ever sees and what if nobody ever knows and what if no person ever says, look how good that was? Would we serve anyway? Servant would. And they would trust that Jesus will make sure that they get all the honor that they deserve. You know, when you read the Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus repeatedly says to the churches there, I know your deeds. I've seen what you've done. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, part of what we have to acknowledge or understand is our Savior sees what we do. Nothing we do in His name ever goes unnoticed by Him. Nothing we do in His name ever goes unrewarded by Him. However, it will often go unrewarded in this life. I mean, even think about what Jesus said in like Matthew 6 about praying and fasting and giving. Right? How did He say to pray? Go in your closet and pray in secret, and then the God who sees in secret will reward you openly. And He explicitly says, don't be like the hypocrites who stand on the street corner and pray. When you fast, anoint your head. Look normal. Don't walk around saying, oh, I'm starving because I'm fasting. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you give, don't let your right hand know or your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And the Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. For if you do these things before men to be seen of men, you have your reward. If we do what we do so that people will say, look how great they are, we will probably get it. And that is all we will ever get. We'll miss out on God's rewards in exchange for earthly praise. Servants, we have to just do what needs to be done. And leave God to determine what rewards we need, what honor we deserve, knowing he sees, He is faithful, He will always do what is right. If we think as Jesus thought, we'll serve as Jesus served. And we'll be free from the need to try to perform for others. We'll be free from the need to try to live for the praise of others. We can live, serve an audience of one, knowing that someday we will hear, well done, good faithful servant and I'm convinced the praise from God on that day is worth far more than the praise of man today if for no other reason than people who praise you today will hate you tomorrow 
people who today talk about how righteous and good and great you are will talk about what a hypocrite and how what a sinner you are tomorrow. You can live for that passing praise or you can live for the praise of one who is faithful and true and will always do what is right. So let me ask you, are you a, are you a servant or a server? Do you think like Jesus and so you serve like Jesus? Or do you think like the world and so serve as the world serves? For many of us, if most of us, these are challenging things. We need the time today, in this time of response, to begin to say, God, help me. Lord, forgive me when I've demanded my rights that I didn't deserve. God, forgive me when I have been passive and waited. God, forgive me for my selfishness. God, forgive me for seeking the praise of man instead of the glory of God. Help me to change. Transform me. Help me to, to serve as Jesus served. To do as Jesus did. Knowing that, God, you will, you will give me, provide for me, and, and help me. Do we want to be servers? Or do we want to be servants? How we respond to God's word will largely determine what we do. Let's stand.